It's time for the Talent Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2, a nationwide leader in background checks and employment screening solutions. People G2 gives their clients access to the best human capital management and due diligence tools available. They are dedicated to helping their clients with all of their people-related decisions. To learn more, go to www.peopleg2.com. Talent Talk centers on the topics of talent recruitment and management, leadership development, company culture, and employee engagement. These are all timely topics for CEOs, entrepreneurs, HR professionals, and business leaders. We hope that as you tune in to listen each week, whether to the live broadcast or to the podcast on iTunes or iHeartRadio, that you hear something you can take away that will help you grow and impact your career in a positive way. And now... Here's the host of the Talent Talk Radio Show, the founder and CEO of People G2, Chris Dyer. Good afternoon and welcome to Talent Talk. I'm so excited to be back. We had a little bit of a break there with vacations and being sick and I don't know, it just seemed like the world wanted me to take a few few weeks off, so we, we made that happen, but Thank you all for tuning in. And really, the reason we're here is to talk about talent, to talk about really talented people, to hopefully learn something that we can use in our career, we can use with our families, use with our friends. I don't know, just be a better human being, right? By being a better version of ourselves and hopefully being a better boss or a better leader. And so many amazing stories have come out of this show. I've learned so many things from our guests, and I hope that that continues to be what you have uh, as far as the outcomes, right, is to to learn something and to maybe think about something or pick up a book you wouldn't have otherwise known about. So uh, as we mentioned, Talent Talk is live every, almost every Tuesday now, but we can always get us anytime you want. Hundreds of episodes are on iTunes, our iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, put them all out there. You can go to talenttalkradio.com and you can even uh, search there and, and listen to whatever episode you want. So if we're not live, there's always someone you can be listening to. Uh, wherever you feel like you want to hang out with us, please make sure that you subscribe. And don't forget, this year we're kind of doing this new thing. We're now live streaming. So we're on LinkedIn live streaming, Twitter, uh, Facebook, um, YouTube. So if you like to hang out there, that's a better place. And make sure you do that. You're connected with us. You interact with us and the guests, ask your questions there, uh, and we'll make sure we'll get them answered. So I'm really excited today. We're going to just kind of change the format a little bit and just focus in on one guest. Uh, that's because I happen to be in Las Vegas, and I just gave a talk about remote work about an hour ago. So I thought I'd be kind to myself and only have one guest on instead of two, as I might run out of gas. So if anyone's ever been on stage, you kind of use up all of your adrenaline in, in, a, in a, for the whole day in like one short burst. But uh, anyways, let's talk about who my guest is today. I'm really excited uh, to finally have back uh, on the show. We had originally had him scheduled and then I got sick, and but he was kind enough to, to reschedule and come back with us. So we have uh, Brian McComick. He is a speaker, author, and founder, uh, is the founder and CEO of Hummingbird Humanity. So um, let, let's kind of talk about who Brian is. He's a diversity and inclusion consultant. He's a speaker. So he's an author and a facilitator with over 20 years of experience in DNI, HR, company culture, change management, internal communications, and employee experience. 
Sounds like an expert, and it sounds like just the guy we need on the show because this is exactly what we talk about all the time. Uh, as I said, he's the founder and CEO of Hummingbird Humanity. I'm sure we're going to find out a little bit more about that, but what I know so far is it's a consulting firm that cultivates and champions inclusive workplace cultures and human-centered leadership. So enough with all of the to-do. Brian, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Chris. I'm really happy to be here. And I really have to edit that bio. I just, I, there's too many little adjectives there, but I've done a lot of things. Don't, I get it. You know, I have this, I want to hide. It's the only time I want to hide under a desk is when someone starts reading my bio, like for something. I'm just like, oh, okay. I don't, just stop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And the I other time, I'm, I'm happy to be a proud extrovert, but then I get it. So it's tough. <laughs> Totally, totally. Yeah. Well, and and I, you know, one thing that I have to remind myself is part, you know, part of the the reason I get to have that bio is the, well, there's two reasons. One is people gave me opportunities to try new things and spread my wings, which has made a big difference for me as a human and as a person who does this work. And I also am innately curious. So I've always I'm always like, I want to try that. I want to do this. And um, and I always had this um belief that at some point I would be a consultant, although I had no idea what that actually meant. Um, but I felt like I was going to need a variety of experiences to, to get there. So um, it all worked out. Well, and you certainly have a lot of experiences and now you're putting them all into, you know, your, your consulting firm, Hummingbird Humanity. So what is the kind of work? What is it that, that you really enjoy uh, sort of focusing on with your clients? Sure. Um, well, our, I will say that the, what we're tracking towards is um, is to is developing an approach to creating human centered workplace cultures where humans thrive um, and defining what that means and what that looks like. And and I have a point of view on that, which um, I will be revealing in formality this fall when my book comes out, um, uh, which is called Humanity in the Workplace. Um, you know, right now where, you know, where Hummingbird started about two years ago is we predominantly do diversity, equity and inclusion work for companies that starts to then, of course, uh, as uh, as that work does and should leans into um, how companies and leaders are thinking about their employee experience and their company culture. Um, and so the, the way that we lean into that um, in just a you know, simple framework is we, we start with um, assessing where the organization is um, in their uh, DEI arena or in their employee experience arena. Um, uh, and we always start our work through the voice of the employees. We believe in um, the importance of starting from the, the humans in the, the workplaces first. Then we can help the, our, our clients build a plan for how do they um, you know, evolve their culture or, or um, expand their commitment to diversity, equity, and inclusion. And then we can either help them implement it or help them find the right partners to implement the pieces of the puzzle that were, you know, aren't in our wheelhouse. So one of the things I always uh, sort of surprises me, but I noticed that HR and DNI or DEI um, seem to be separated, right? They're, I guess they're kind of under this larger umbrella, but like you notice, you have HR people doing compliance. You may have HR people who are focused on culture. You may have HR people who are focused on recruiting and and the, what goes into having employees. But yet they sort of like then kind of just put over here in this little side thing. We want to talk about DNI, and it's a little bit. I don't know. Again, it just doesn't feel as holistic, especially in larger companies. It just sort of like gives someone a title and tell them to go do it. So I'm imagining that maybe your approach is trying to combine, trying to bring these approaches, these methodologies together. So what does that look like? 
Yeah, I, I, I really am grateful that you, you keyed in on that. Um, that's uh, something I'm trying to, to introduce in the, the ways that we're, we're thinking about the potential for how, how we can, um, help humans thrive and make a difference in their workplaces. Um, so I'll start by saying that, um, you know, I've lived in the, HR professional shoes and I have lived in the DEI professional shoes and the, the skill sets and the knowledge required in those two jobs, I, I think are quite different. Um, and, um, organizations understandably put, often put DEI in the HR bucket because it has to do with humans. And so I get that. Like, you're like, Oh, these are the human people, the people that deal with the humans. I'm going to put DEI there, but the skill sets and the knowledge, the approaches, the thinking are, are really different. Um, and so, uh, you know, for when we do our, the work that we do at Hummingbird, uh, we try to think about how do, um, how does, the understanding we have from a DEI perspective, which means understanding systems of oppression and understanding how we can, um, what, what change changes need to be made in organizations and also really how to drive those changes. So what does the change management journey look like? Um, and how do organizations operate? So what are the operation, what are the ecosystem and enterprise aspects of that evolution that really need to, to come to life? So we, um, which, are, which are often HR business partner skill sets, which are those internal skills, consulting skill sets to understand organizational change and enterprise thinking and DEI skill sets are, are understanding the humanity part of the, the conversation and the systems of oppression. So how do you combine those to drive organizational change? Uh, the other piece, uh, which I think is, is also key is we have a, a framework we use, uh, which is called the four, we call it the four lenses of representation. So how we think about um, how DEI um, approaches are infused in uh, these four lenses, which are people, culture, community, and customers. So how are you thinking about the diversity of your community of people? How are you creating an inclusive culture? How are you giving back to the communities where you operate um, and where your employees live and play? And how are you also um, using the, that understanding of uh, to to drive how you're meeting your, the needs of your customers or your clients? Um, so so that that sort of all comes together. Um, and you know, one of the things that if Nick, who's the COO of Hummingbird, were here, he's like, Brian, I love all the things you're saying. You got to figure out how to say it in fewer words. Um, so we're still working <laughs> on that part of it. <laughs> Well, that's the uh, elevator pitch, right? How do we get that down into, into just a few words? So, yeah, you know, you kind of mentioned that your work often starts with trying to figure out where companies are at. And uh, I want to kind of get your thoughts on, you know, the employee experience surveys or what you guys do to kind of start with that. Because I think I have a fundamental hate for surveys, employee surveys, um, especially when they are these big, giant you know, behemothy, you know, 100 questions, 50 questions, whatever it is, because number one, you get people at a one moment in time that feel one way that maybe might change in a week or a month, right? You, It's hard to get them to complete the surveys and to do it with real voice and intention because it can be so lofty, right? They're busy, they got things to do, and you're asking them to do these giant things. So the counter, I guess the before I let you answer, the counter is that we, I have shifted to, hey, can I ask this question, these questions one at a time each week, right? So we would we will do like a weekly survey of only one question. That way we can 
get an idea of what's happening, make changes, you know, pivot when we need to pivot, celebrate when we need to celebrate instead of just me like, and I don't know if you do this once a year, if you do once a quarter, but how are we doing once a year to me doesn't reflect what's really happening because you can have radical changes in such short periods of time. So what does that look like on your end? And, and, and maybe you, you're going to tell me I'm stupid and I should do it differently, but I, I certainly want to hear what you have to say. Oh, I, I actually, you know, it would be, I'm sure that there are a moment that I might tell someone like, Hey, that doesn't make any sense at all. But you know, one of the things that I, um, uh, really challenge myself and challenge everyone at Hummingbird to 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 think about is uh, there are lots of right answers and there's lots of different approaches and there's lots of different groups of humans and um, and so we have to just figure out what's right for whatever group of humans we're working with and so it, that they, we have we have frameworks and methodologies and templates and um, and materials and content but you know it's always got to be curated for what's right for that group um, and, and actually I think um, our, you know our clients are often are doing doing some combination of both what I would call what you described as pulse surveys um, that are um, intentionally focused on a specific part of the employee experience, where we then combine those with an annual, um, deeper, more comprehensive survey. The, the, um, and I, you know, I appreciate your, you know, the, the, the things you raise about the, the challenges with a one point in time, uh, comprehensive employee experience survey. And those, those are real. Um, I think, you know, the, th the thing that makes our approach to employee experience surveys, um, different, um, and, I, I would, and hopefully the marketplace is starting to to evolve to 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 honor these. Is that we combine DEI methodology with traditional employee engagement survey methodology. So we ask uh, around forty to forty five. Uh, multiple choice questions with uh, usually three to five free response questions that are um, helping us illuminate um, those sort of uh, conversations that are in play, um, so we can hear through the employee voices and their free responses what's what's a what's a what's on their minds, um, and then we also ask over 15 demographic questions, um, and the key part of the demographic questions for me, and this is one of the things I think. I think I got wrong as an HR person for many years, as many of us in HR have done, is when we're typically analyzing survey results, we're doing it at the group level. So it's at the, the, the company level, the function level, the department level, the team level. As soon as you're doing that is you're always going to elevate the voice of the majority and you are, you erase or minimize the voice of the minority. Um, so our approach when we do the analysis for those surveys is let's start with looking at the data through different lenses of identity and intersectional identities. Um, and so it might be what do women of color think at this organization? How are they feeling? Um, and we we typically, while we don't require this, we typically um, combine um, our surveys with either focus groups or with interviews or with just some really meaningful dialogue with leaders and the, the HR team um, that we're partnering with so that the synthesis of the results and the output is, um, is combining both uh, the stories and the voices of employees with the data itself, so we can say, here's what the data is telling us, and here's the what it means through the voice of, a, of your employees. So we have some of those, we have the heart and mind ignited, and here are some steps that we can take that would be meaningful. Um, so that's the sort of big picture of the approach. And I think, you know, then we we will drill down um, with the client and say, okay, so here's some other lenses of that data that will help you with 
a specific maybe set of activities for benefits or a specific set of activities for this department or function um, so that you have those insights. But we, we try to try to make sure we're, we're igniting both heart and mind with how we're telling the story and that we're amplifying the voices of the unheard through our approach for the through the assessment. You know, we, we learned during the pandemic that uh, we had to think about our groups of people very, very differently. So we certainly would have thought about them in the traditional ways that you mentioned, right, by team, by grouping, by department. Um, we may have looked at their them through the lens of diversity, through, you know, looking at particular groups of people based on what they might have filled out on a form, right? Um, but we found out that actually our best way for the pandemic, and this is a obviously a very specific use case that hopefully we don't have to repeat again, um, was based on how what their living situation was while they were on lockdown, right? Were they a single person living by themselves, not seeing anybody, right? Were they maybe just living with one other person, whether that was a, a partner or that was just a friend or a roommate? Those groups of people were lonely. They were overworking, over drinking, overeating. They were just overdoing everything and miserable and lonely all at the same time. And yet our other groups of people were, you know, they had kids or they had multi-generational families. And so they had bandwidth problems. We needed flexibility for them. They needed to be given a little bit of patience to get their work done, whereas one group was overworking, one group was underworking because of their situation. And what they needed the most was bandwidth. Right. Our first two groups needed AA and maybe a counselor. And our second group just needed like a hotspot, right? To like solve their biggest problems. And so we thought about them in those totally different ways of thinking about, um, people. It was the first time I'd ever thought about their living situation. It gave us a much different lens. I love what you're saying. Collect the data. And then how can you look at it in different ways to maybe find some, some truths, some surprises, some learnings, right? That can help you connect with those people, retain those people, tra uh, train those people, whatever it may be, if they're ha a particular group, and doesn't have to be a group based on some demographic. It can be a group based on a, a situation where they're at in their lives or whatever, however your company is to look at it. Um, that was a big eye-opener for us. I mean, I don't know if you, got, if you guys have had some of those. I certainly want to hear how you think the pandemic has, you know, maybe – impacted the way other organizations are approaching diversity and equity and inclusion? Yeah. Well, first of all, we don't ask that question about the living situation. <laughs> so thank you so much. We'll be adding that to our, uh, our survey. I'll be reaching out to you afterwards for what are the selections you <laughs> offer. Um, that's, that's, a, that's a great insight. Um, and uh, I'll, I'll, I'll just do quick, give one other quick nod to a lens that we've added um, that I think was missing. Um, and then I'll, then I'll come back to your, um, your question about the pandemic. So the one lens that, that uh, one of our clients challenged us to add, and you know, this, is, this is indicative of what I showed a few minutes ago of, there's always another lens to learn, another lens to explore, and, um, and I'm always learning. And so you know, thanks again for that, that suggestion. The, um, the lens that one of our clients really challenged me to add was religion. Um, and I was like, we can't ask religion on our survey. I'm an <laughs> HR person. We don't do that. And, uh, and then I went home and slept on it. And I said, wait a second, I'm a DEI person now, not an HR person. And I, I have all of that stuff in my head and it's all helpful and important. And, and you got to ask the questions that, that are important from a legal perspective and compliance perspective and so 
on. And I said, but the purpose for the survey is how do we understand how different employees with different experiences are, are mm -hmm. um, feeling about the culture of their company. And what I know is that over the years, uh, having been having lived in New York City for much of the last almost 20 years, I had more conversations that I can count with Jewish employees who felt like the company holidays did not honor their religious beliefs. And clearly the company calendar honored Christian beliefs. And, and I happened to be Christian. And so that worked for me. But when I when I put my myself or try to put myself in the shoes of those employees, I say they're right. Like, you know, the, the calendar doesn't honor those those religious beliefs. So we have now added religion to our survey so we can say, hey, like this is another conversation of how are you honoring the beliefs of your group of humans? And each you know makeup of, of a community is going to look different. So uh, so I love the, the different ways that we can explore uh, the, this conversation. And, and, uh, and I, you know, the, one of the pandemic has had two, two big, um, uh, impacts on workplace cultures that come to mind for me. And certainly there are many we could highlight. One is, um, because of the murder of George Floyd and the, 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 the conversations that happened in 2020, we're now having conversations about let's add religion to the survey or let's add a living situation to the survey or let's add what, you know, whatever other dimension of lived experience that someone might be, um, might be part of someone's story. And I think that's really powerful that we're now having conversations that just didn't, didn't um, happen in workplaces and, and we're long, long, long overdue in, in many cases. The other one for me, I'm I'm a human who battles anxiety and depression. And unfortunately, through the, the help of psychiatrists and psychologists and um, and community and loved ones have have come a long way with that that journey. Um, there's been times where depression took me out of the game altogether, and it really impacted how I was able to show up for life. And uh, what I think has been really powerful um, and unfortunate, as well as the, certainly the pandemic has had significant mental health impacts on so many humans. And at the same time, we're now talking about it in the workplace, which is something new and we're starting to break down the stigma and I'm seeing more companies create uh, opportunities to support mental health in the workplace for their, um, their, their um, employees. Actually, we're doing a, a series of, um, of, a, of, um, steps in this engagement with one of our clients where we are doing um, a couple of workshops for people managers and leaders around how they can uh, lean into supporting employees and their mental health and the different lenses of that. We're creating a resource guide, uh, which covers a variety of different tools and resources and commitments that the employer is taking. Um, I'll be going in next week to speak and talk about my personal experiences. So that, you know, this is a CEO who says, Mental health is key to this, and uh, we're going to talk about it, and we're going to make a difference. And I just, I just don't know if the that, that those conversations, I don't know how long those conversations would have taken to emerge um, if the pandemic had not transpired the way it did. Yeah, it, it created a, a shared experience that we all had as a. I think it was the delivery method, right? It was the platter to serve up this conversation, and it, that's the same thing for George Floyd. And it's in the, our our conversations about social unrest, about politics, about uh, mental health, and I, I just think it gave it. And also, I think we also most of us had a little bit less work at the beginning of the pandemic, a lot of minutia and a lot of the junk just suddenly went away and we weren't going to birthday parties and events and things that we didn't need to be doing. And we had a little more time to think about stuff, right? We had a little more time to like be thoughtful and check in on people. And 
I don't know. And I, that's the thing I'm going to miss about the pandemic besides them cleaning everything properly and not in public. Um, <laughs> is, you know, like I remember my webinar is like, you know, we have good attendance on webinar. But webinars were like 10 X attendance. Like everyone was like, I'm thirsty for knowledge. I finally have the time to like sit and think about something and learn something. And, and then, and then we all, they adjusted and the work came back and they got busy again. But there was that moment where they could say, geez, maybe I'm not happy. Maybe I'm, maybe my work hasn't been good. Maybe I need to make a change. Maybe I need to do things differently. Maybe my boss is toxic and I should get a new job or whatever that thing was I needed to think about. Yeah, that's just the, that's the, the silver lining for me, I guess. If you, we had to be stuck at home for a while. <laughs> we, got a, we got a little, we got a little gift out of it, I guess. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, those, um, you know, those early days of the pandemic were, you know, as someone who deals with depression were incredibly hard for me. Um, and I'm also someone who, uh, is if I'm on my MBTI, I'm right in the middle between introvert extrovert. Although I think everyone who knows me would really challenge that and say, Brian, you are a hundred percent extrovert because I like to be with humans. Uh, and so all of a sudden I had to be by myself with my dog, Bosco, who I love, um, on, um, you know, on, you know, 24 seven for weeks on end. And that was tough for me. And at the same time, as you were just talking about, there are, well, I, I launched Hummingbird Humanity at that time. So something really wonderful came out of it for me. And I launched the Hummingbird with a live conversation series called Hope, Heart, and the Human Spirit, because that's what we needed. Um, and that's you know what I wanted to bring to the world. I also made really phenomenal connections with other humans. I, uh, you know, some of my friends hosted community forums and, uh, and we forged meaningful connections and relationships in ways that I don't know if any of us really thought was possible in this virtual world. So that was really exciting. And I, um, I also just on a personal note, I had a group of friends, we got together every Friday night for six months and had a virtual game night. And, you know, so those, those personal connections that, that were forged during that time are significant. And I think you're right, you know, going back to the, the work of the work here, that also, I think, gave us space to pay attention to what was happening in the world around us and ways that none of us were able to before because we were caught up in all of the things that life gives us, which can be really wonderful and, and meaningful and, and powerful and important. There was a time of silence that was interrupted by a time of horrific tragedy, and we all listened. And so that, that has made a difference um, for so many of us. Well, I'm, as I think we started the conversation, I'm a card carrying extrovert and to not be able to go places and talk to people and be, you know, it was, I had my family there, but like, that was only, I mean, who likes their family? You know, uh, you, you barely tolerate them, but you know, you like to go out, all joking aside, like if I was stressed, if I had a busy week, I would say, let's have a party. Like that's how I would recharge is to say, let's invite our friends over for dinner. Let's have a people over and it would fill my bucket up. Right. And I, we couldn't do that. And so for the first time in my life, I mean, I've had moments of being down, but I kind of really started to feel depressed. Like you just to not have that, what I relied on. And it was good to reflect and say, okay, there's some good in that, but there's also some bad in that, that I didn't, I'm using that as a crutch to just, you know, go somewhere where there's a bunch of people instead of maybe dealing with the real things I need to be dealing with. And I would say the best thing that came out of that is we started doing Zoom dinners. I just created a link, like a calendar link, and people could just sign up to have dinner with us any day of the week that we had open. And we actually had 
these one, you know, very, very intimate conversations over dinner with people around the world. If I'd had a party, I would have talked to them for like two or three minutes. It would have been the pleasantries. It would have been the fun, but it wouldn't have been like, how are you really doing? What's really going on? How are you really handling this? And, and maybe that would be silly to do now because we were not locked in our homes. We needed that then, but it did teach me to like, maybe you don't need to have 50 people over. Maybe you could just have five over or 10 and have some real conversations, you know? So like I said, there's some real good silver linings, I think, out of that. And I'm hoping that leaders will remember that as they go back to work, whether they keep remote work or flexible work or hybrid or whatever, to take those moments to talk to their team and to really connect. I'm I'm a big proponent to get rid of one-on-one meetings if you're doing remote work. I think it's a total waste. I prefer group therapy over individual therapy, if you want to put it in that sort of lens, right? It's better to get a group of people together to talk about things and to have a real connection. But if, if you think it's sort of the next evolution, right, of leadership and culture that's come out of this. Yeah, I, I um, just because of a conversation I had today, which I'll share about, I have a new sort of question that's emerging. So part of me um, has, uh, has really appreciated the this moment, which has now lasted for two two years, uh, which has I hope and and generally believe has sparked the curiosity of leaders to say uh, of leaders trying to understand how do I lead differently in this moment in time? How do I lead humans differently in an ongoing way? What did I not understand before? What do I need to understand now? What what does what does I'll use my language, human-centered leadership look like. I am grateful for that aha. Um, and, uh, and so I think it has sparked this new era of cult of, of organizational cultures. Um, combined with the fact that, as we all know, whether you call it the great resignation or the great awakening or something else, that employees are expecting that their organizations uh, treat them like humans and create workplaces that are equitable and inclusive and um, that they give back to their community. So I think there's this, you know, there's these different dimensions, whether it's leaders trying to figure out how to attract and retain or employees saying, this is what you need from me, which of course intersect, that we're changing how workplace cultures, what they've looked like and, and I think what they need to be uh, to really allow humans to thrive. What's interesting for me is from the conversation I had with uh, one of our global clients today is they're finding that as we start to I don't know if we can say exit the pandemic because I don't know what we what language we use now. But, you know, as sort of the the real world returns or the new normal, which I think we're stopped, we've decided to stop using the new normal, um, whatever that looks like, that their employees are feeling disconnected more now because uh, they're like in this in-between phase where we don't go back to the office and we work virtually, but our worlds have opened back up. And um, so they're trying to think about and that was the conversation we had with them today is how can we help them think about what does connect connection look like in this new environment? Um, and uh, how do we help foster connection and community uh, in this in-between hybrid place, you know, reality, which is going to yeah. emerge from this pandemic? Um, I don't know if I have the answers there, but I, I think it's an interesting question. And, and yeah. one of the one of the curiosities I've had is, will we work type spaces become more of a normal? Will that become a new benefit? Um, so that's something else I'm, I've been wondering. Well, it's interesting. So in all my consulting work around remote work is that We've had to teach people, they typically thought about traditional work as a place where they would have friends, where they might have a group of people who they care about, 
And they're usually very disappointed when they or one of them leaves that work and then they realize they weren't as close as they thought they were. And they forgot that proximity was the real connector there, right? Being in the same place over and over and over, you get close to people, but when they're not there anymore, you're not as close. And that's okay, right? So we actually had to coach people to say, it's awesome if you really connect with someone and you are really close with them here at work, but that's not, should not be your expectation, respect to get along, you know, work together. Teamwork is great, but like you need to find your friends somewhere else. <laughs> right. And that shift in the mindset for people was really important. Okay. I'm not going to have my bell, my best friends at work. I need to have them somewhere else in a club in a volunteer place and a, you know, wherever that they are going to exist. And I think that's the best part about remote work is that you actually have people in your lives who aren't going to necessarily disappear just because your work changes. And you can have, I think, better boundaries and better, I don't know, outcomes with your fellow employee that isn't like based on some friendship clicky thing. I don't know. So it's an, it's, it was it been interesting to get people to shift their thinking about that because they just naturally thought about making friends at work. It was just the natural place to go. And it's just not going to be that way with remote work if, or even hybrid if that's how organizations choose to move forward. That certainly resonates for me. And I, and, and, and I'll share, you know, a, 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 in a personal way here, which is, you know, unfortunately, actually for me, the work that materialized during the pandemic is aligns with me personally from a values perspective and professionally from an expertise perspective. And I'm always learning both personally and professionally, but that's worked really well. You know, so many of us, and I've been one of these humans, identify and, and form our self-identity around work and the workplace. Um, and that also looks differently when you're not going to an office um, and you're not connected with those humans on a regular basis. Um, so there's also that that connectivity, which I think is interesting. Um, but I but I agree with you. I think it also has um, when I was early in my HR career, I learned uh, as most HR people do, you can't be friends with your <laughs> the employees. It doesn't work. It doesn't work well. Um, and uh, and so I said I had to learn early in my career how do I make connections and friendships and community in other places. And fortunately, as a gay man, th- there are lots of opportunities in so many, particularly big cities, to connect with other others and community organizations. Um, so it's uh, it's been relatively easy for me, whether it's singing with the New York City Gay Men's Chorus or playing in a gay volleyball league, which are the two biggest things I did in New York City um, that have made a difference. Um, so I, I do think it's it's going to be interesting how those realities intersect as um, as companies lean into you know the supporting the mental health of their employees realize that connection is a big part of the construct of work, work, working for an organization and recognizing that virtual work means that looks different. And so how do you, how do you provide that landscape that'll support employees and their desire for connection and identity and self, you know, confidence and, and the, and the more you do to support them, the, the better they can deliver for your organization. So there's a, there's a benefit for leaders paying attention. Well, I really appreciate uh, our conversation today and, and how much you have shared personally and uh, certainly the journey uh, and, and probably most importantly, the great work that you're doing, uh, I think, in helping organizations with such an important area that we really should be fo- continuing to focus more on. I'm glad it's become more to the forefront in the last few years than, than I think it has been in years past. So the most important question I can ask you is how can people find out more about you? How do they learn about you and your company and, and reach out. 
Sure, sure. Uh, so for Hummingbird, you can find Hummingbird Humanity on LinkedIn and Instagram and Facebook. Um, if you go to our website, hummingbirdhumanity.com, you can also sign up for our weekly newsletter uh, where we provide a variety of tips and tools and resources. And uh, we always um, are committed to amplifying the voices of the unheard and to identifying different ways where you can bring representation to life in your organization. And then if you want to connect with me, the, the best way to do that is to find Brian McComick, which is M-C-C-O-M-A-K on LinkedIn. Um, and uh, there I also share a series of Representation Matters posts um, and try to amplify the voices of others. So if you're looking for, for great voice, other great voices to follow, it's a, it's a, it's a great place to, uh, to get some ideas. Brian, thank you so much for being our guest today and sharing again your fantastic insights. Thank you everyone for listening to today's show. Hopefully you gained something you can use in your own career in a positive way. Until next time, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today. You've been listening to Talent Talk Radio, brought to you by People G2. 